I give you that international sensation. What good is sitting alone in your room? Come hear the music play. Life is a cabaret, old chum. Hello and welcome to Queer and Now, the Talk Film Society podcast where we take you on a time-hopping journey through queer cinema, going decade by decade to discover how it has evolved over the years. Uh, I am one of your hosts, David Ginnini, and my co-host is Manish Mother. Manish. We're, hey, we're getting ready to start how are finally. You? Episode zero. I'm doing I great. I'm so excited. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess kind of the the first thing we should talk about is both why we're doing this, and I guess I think it's kind of important to talk about our own sexual orientation, uh, so people don't think it's like you know two two straight guys talking about queer cinema like uh, like most podcasts are. Um, so uh, I'm a, a bisexual guy. Uh, and what about you? What's your orientation? I am gay, homosexual, you know, <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> all of that. Yeah. So I think for me at least, and this is one of the things we haven't talked about before recording, is that I think it's really important to talk about this for a couple of reasons. One, personally, there are so many queer classics that I'm like, I know about and have heard about for years and just never got around to seeing. So selfishly, it'll be like a fun thing to go through and like check out these movies. Everyone in the queer community is like, you got to see blank Torch Song Trilogy, whatever the movie is, you got to check this out. And the other thing is, I think it's really important to highlight queer cinema, because I think even though we are at a better place now than we were in, say, 1930, which is probably the earliest movie we'll talk about. Um, there's still it's still kind of limited, especially if you're talking about big budget, uh, wide release movies. So I think it's important to take a look not only at the most amount of queer cinema we can, but to kind of look at how things have changed. Like, are we getting better and how how much better are we getting? So I'm really excited to do this. Yeah, so am I. Um, I think, you know, I kind of share a lot of your feelings about, you know, why we're doing this. Also, I I am really kind of curious to see how attitudes about queer people have changed um, between, you know, the 1930s when it was kind of like best kept secrets to like now when more and more people are coming out and being, you know, out publicly and, you know, because I have a strong suspicion that a lot of the cliches and tropes that we have seen in old, or that we will see in older movies are going to be, like, upheld now. Like, I don't think that movies are as progressive, at least American movies are mm-hmm. as, you know, progressive as we would like them to be. I mean, just now, like, we're recording this in early January and... I just, I just saw that you posted a link or about Marvel walking back, you know, introducing a trans <laughs> character. And to me, I was like, great, like that, I mean, whatever they were going to do with a trans character, it would probably be like a, you know, one minute cameo role. But like, <laughs> now that's gone. It's just like, I don't know. So we'll see how, how things have changed, if they've changed at all. Like, that's what I'm really curious to see, because I honestly don't really think that you know, mainstream cinema is, you know, um, as inclusive as I would like it to be. Yeah, totally agree. So I guess we should also talk about like, what is a queer movie? And for some people that may seem really obvious. And I think if you boil it down to the most obvious, sure it is. If a queer movie to you is nothing but like, well, there is a same sex relationship in it. There's a same sex romantic relationship, but is that the limit to what queer movies are? What do you, Where do you land on this? Like, what is a queer movie to you? Yeah, so I don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think on some level, like, whether a queer person has to be involved behind the scenes is important. But I also Mm. think that there are exceptions to that rule. Um, And because the fact there are so many queer movies that we're going to be talking about where, like, no one is queer that we know of. And, like, we're just going to go by, you know who their partner is on Wikipedia, right? Like, there's no way to really know, no, but, like... Right. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there has to be at least someone in front of or behind the camera who is openly queer, or um, or at least in front of the camera, there has to be something like within the content of the movie that actually deals with queerness, whether that is through you know, like a coming out story or a love story or just there has to be it can't just be that like this character is queer, but they, they don't have to be queer and then it's fine. You know what I mean? There just right. has to be a central mm-hmm. focus of the film or at least such a big part of it that if you took it out, it wouldn't be a queer movie. Right. So like, right. Um, for example, about a year ago, like when Avengers Endgame, not to bring back the MCU, but like it's kind of the. <laughs> You know, but hard, it's hard not to talk about it. Um, you know, they had that scene where it was like one guy talking about he had a date with another guy, and everyone was like, "Great, you know, that that's exciting." But then, like, um, you could just take that scene out, and it would not, or you could make that person straight, and it wouldn't change a thing. So, like, I right. would like that doesn't count to me. But like, there, so there has to be something that's like, okay, this this is a queer story because if it weren't queer, then it wouldn't be a queer story. Right. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that makes perfect sense. And to, yeah. you know, of course, continue to bring up the Disney mega machine, you know, in the in the most recent Star Wars movie, there was a same sex kiss, I guess. And then when it went to China, they just edited it out. So you can't have something that is that easy to erase uh, yeah. and call it, call it a queer movie. Right. Like you can't just like you said, in that scene in the Avengers movie, if that person had a opposite sex partner, literally nothing changes for that scene. And like There's I'm no not difference. doing a bit, I'm not doing a bit, but like maybe I saw the Chinese cut of that movie because I cannot remember the same sex kiss. And like I believe me, I think I would know. This is how easy it was to edit out. It was yeah. just like gone. Because it so. wasn't anyone it wasn't any characters with, with the names. Like they weren't they were in the background. Um I did not even register and like no one cared. But like it wasn't right. the good kind of no one cared, it was like the bad kind. <laughs> Right, the one that's like not noticeable, not yeah. like oh, no one cares because this is normal now. We're so yeah. progressive. Right. No, it's really not that way. So, so for me, I think when I first started thinking about this, it was like it was actually a real struggle because I think sometimes when you're a part of a community and when you've watched a lot of queer films, I think sometimes there's just like a you you just know it. You know, there's just like a feeling that comes with a queer film. And of course, there's an obvious like if there is a non heterosexual relationship, okay, that can usually be pinned as a queer movie. But I think there's also the idea of just like queering the narrative, right? If it just somehow in any way counters challenges heterosexuality and that can even be stylistically like, for instance, like films that would be called camp. To me, those are queer, and they don't even have to have gay storylines for those to be seen as queer. So anything that just kind of flies in the face of your standard narrative, I think, can be can be termed a queer film. Would I rather see those films with actual queer characters? Yes, absolutely. But especially when we start looking at older films, like, you know, we're going to have to really search. Because, like, in 1935, there weren't a lot of on-screen you know, <laughs> queer relationship. There's the whole Hayes Code stuff going on, so you have to be... Right. I was just so going to ask. Also, right. Yeah, I also think the definition changes over time, right? Um, if you made a movie in 2019 and a woman was wearing a top hat and a suit, that doesn't count as queer anymore. Like, that's not good enough. That's not a queer movie. That's yeah. just a beautiful woman in a really good-looking suit. And that's queer-ish, uh, but like it's different in 2019 than it is in 1935. And I think that to me also would be really interesting to see how that definition changes or maybe how our definitions of queer film change after we finish this whole thing, you know, because I think it will change a little bit when we see, you know, at least one movie for every year since 1930, which is our plan. So my question to you is, does it matter who the intended audience is? So I'm thinking about the movie The Danish Girl, for example, the Tom Hooper film with... Uh, yeah, our Redmayne. great auteur, Tom Hooper, yes. Yeah, I mean, look, Cats <laughs> is queer cinema, that's for sure. That, I agree, actually. Um, but the, the Danish Girl, like, that's ostensibly a queer film by both of our definitions, um, yeah. But is it actually for a queer audience, or is it for, or is it for a straight audience to feel progressive? And another example would be 
uh, Roland Emmerich Stonewall film, which you know was yeah. pretty much rejected by queer and straight audiences, but okay. it's had queer characters. It had a, you know a gay director, but you know it was not for queer people in any sense, except for you know a very small section of you know gay Republican men who like <laughs> yeah, want to yeah. feel like they're not you know but traitors. Um, yeah, that but, is a yeah. that is a great point that I didn't think of, but I think it does matter. And I think especially, again, changes over time, right? If Stonewall had been made, if that same movie had been made in 1983, then it's probably a queer movie. But now we should have come further. So it's like, no, you have to keep in mind that like, if this isn't, if this isn't made with a queer audience in mind, I don't think it's a queer film. And I don't think it meets at least one of my definitions of like challenging the heterosexual norms. Cause even if you have yeah. gay characters and, but it's designed to make straight people feel better, that's not enough, you know, yeah. like that, that doesn't. So I think it definitely does make an impact who this story is told by and who this story is told for. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, I mean, I think this, the, the, like, I'm, it's going to be interesting to go back to this episode in a year from now um, to see, you know, how our opinions have changed between going through so many, um, so many different films for so many different time periods and like understanding context and history, you know, and history and stuff like that. I'm really, I'm actually very right. excited um, because who knows, we might have totally different opinion, like definitions yeah. of this topic in you know maybe even in six months or you know. Right. So no, yeah, absolutely interesting. Agree. Yeah. So I also think queer cinema, like every kind of cinema, like any genre you want to look at, there are tropes. You know, mm-hmm. there are things that, like, you do uh, a talk film society podcast for, about romantic comedies called it Pod to Be You, and there are tropes in there. You know, there's the meet cute, right? So every mm-hmm. every type of film has its tropes. What are some of the tropes that you see in queer cinema that you're just like, man, I have. I've had enough. I can't. We've done this over and over again. Can we please just stop? What are the things that stand out to you? One thing that always stands out to me is how um, queer cinema in in some ways doesn't really acknowledge that there are different types of queer people and even different types of queer people within the different, you know, letters of the LGBTQ spectrum. Or umbrella. You mean they're not all young, white, and hot? That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, and so for me, it's it's for me that thing that always kind of annoys me, especially when there's like a you know um, like a coming out story for you know a gay teen, and it's always some like thin white boy from you know Southern <laughs> California or whatever or wherever like LA is, I guess. You have it so rough. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's like, well, they're from that community, and they're going to go to college, and they're afraid, like, they're afraid they're going to not be accepted. But you know, they happen to fall in love with this like really good-looking guy, and like on some level, I'm describing Love Simon, which is actually movie I really like, <laughs> even though it's like the worst. It's the same thing. Sometimes these tropes are done well. Sometimes right? they're there's, done there's well. There's a reason yeah. why they're there. And it like, um, because like, you know, growing up, I was a you know, I'm a person of color. I'm South Asian and American. And, you know, growing up, it was kind of like, well, there's just no one that, like, looks like me that's going through this. And it's, right. you know, and I mean, I, I, you know, I come from a very liberal family, you know, and I, I never really had any real fear of coming out, aside from my own, you know, anxieties or whatever. But um, I was just like, well, there's, it was almost like it can't apply to me because I never saw it. So I'm like, okay, and then even like within, like, okay, fine, like I can, you know, racial diversity is something that you know will always be an issue, but like, even like body diversity, you know, was kind of something I never saw. Like everyone just happens to be like CrossFit, you know, like even like, <laughs> even in like a movie where I'm like, I don't even see where when they would have time to work out, you know, but right, uh, or like they would have these like, I can't imagine this person has like a perfect diet or whatever, you know, it just like didn't, it just always seems like, um, like on a show like Lee or whatever, it just seems like whoever the, like. I mean, like, whoever the people who are making this show find attractive are the people that's going to be in the show, and it's just something that I've come to accept, or, like, in the film. 
Um, so yeah, it's just like there's and like not even having like you know um, like like how like uh, gay characters. I mean, speaking specifically towards gay men, because like that's the thing that I've noticed the most. It's like they're always the same kind of gay, or if they're not, they're very like masculine. So it's like. Um, <laughs> So it's like, well, like either you're, like, a, a bitchy theater gay or you're, like, right. but not, like, other gay gay. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Um, which is itself problematic. And, like, I don't know. I don't. I guess I don't know if those are, like, trope tropes. But, like, another thing that... No, I think, like, I think yeah. they apply. I think what you're talking about on both of these things is a lack of diversity. Yeah. A lack of diversity in what you look like, what your yeah. experience is, uh, how you interact with the world. Like, you're you're so right when you're talking about, like, basically there's, in most queer films, especially with gay men, there's, like, there's two types, right? There's the really swishy, uh, and then there's, like, the ultra-masculine jock. And that's it. There's really not a lot of in-between, especially in, like, any kind of relatively major studio productions. Right. Like, it's almost if they think, like, people aren't ready or they can't figure out, wait, but they don't act gay. So are they gay? Like, yeah, he's kissing another man. He's gay. It's fine. You could be a normal person. You don't have to fit a stereotype. Or you can fit a stereotype. And both of those things exist in the world. Yeah. And that's totally okay. Yeah. yeah, another thing is, like, um, you know, like, like gay stories always being tragic yep. and always being coming out stories. Like, I kind of want to see a movie about, like, gay people who are just, like, living lives and not, like, dealing with any kind of ramification of being out or outed or anything like that, because I also feel like that's another cliche or trope that it's like okay like you know now he or she or they have to come out and it's like what's gonna happen like there was a movie about um with john lithgow and uh oh, what's his name alfred molina right love is strange yep love is and strange. i was yep. like watching it being great this is a movie about a gay couple who are then they're you know they're old and they're just living their lives they're married or partnered and then it's like oh no they were found out to being gay and it's like i mean but i was having such a nice time with this movie about this like sweet married couple like why yeah. like why is it being like why is like the coming out process the only story it's either coming out or like dying from aids right so right I just want to see, like, uh, like I just watched Marriage Story, for example. Like, that's, why couldn't that be, like, why can't we have a marriage story that's, like, just about gay people who are just, like, going through divorce? But, um, yeah. it, it's so interesting how, like, or, like, a movie that actually does this pretty well is Pain and Glory, um, mm -hmm. the Almodovar film that just came out in October, um, because, you know, that film, like, uh, Antonio Banderas' character is homosexual, but he's it's not really about him coming out. I mean, there's like a little hint of it, like when you know talking about when he's talking about how he was a disappointment to his mother, but that could easily be that he like moved out of this village and is living this lifestyle, not like 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 this lifestyle of being like rich and famous, not you know being a devout Catholic like she is. So maybe like it's not just the sexuality part. So, like, I think, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, Almodovar films, for sure, definitely deal with, like, queer people just, like, living lives and not right, having right. to, like, always be, like, afraid of coming out or dealing with the ramifications of coming out. So, they, I guess, yeah, another thing that I just really cannot stand anymore is coming out stories. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I know they're so yeah. important and they, they need to be told, but it's like, let's have that and, you know, the entirety of the human experience. Yeah, I don't think either one of us are saying, like, oh, well, we can't have movies with these tropes anymore. But it would just right. be nice to get a little more. Like, I love the fact that Love, Simon came out, and it was a standard coming-of-age story, but with a gay character. Like, yeah. that just didn't exist for, like, a popular high school film. So that was really cool to see. But I'm really glad you brought up the, like, kind of the, the tragedy aspect where you just have i don't know it's just like there's so many gay movies where it's just like sadness porn and i'm yeah. just like okay you know what like it doesn't always end in a in a hate crime like not every gay person dies by violence or dies of aids you know and there's some great movies that this kind of stuff happens i mean like brokeback mountains is a great movie but like there are moments in that where i'm like again we're doing this again i'm just i'm so yeah. tired 
can I just have like a like a happy story with with queer people, please? Like, does it have to be like, you know, one of them gets beat up and the other one's wife finds out? It's just like, okay, it's a great movie. I really love it, but I'm so tired yeah. of it just just being that. You know, like being gay is important in these stories, but not every gay story is the same. You know, it's not only coming out or death by violence. Like there's a lot of room in between. And I'm glad you brought up pain and glory. Cause that is the perfect example. There's like, there's no real discussion of the main character's gayness. It just is, you know, like they yeah. don't even really talk about it. Like there's a, all of a sudden there's a scene later in the movie where there's uh, two men kissing and it's wonderful, but it's like, it's not a big deal and it, mm-hmm. it's not a surprise. And I love that about it, that it just, it trusts the audience to figure out either like, okay, this is an Alma Devar film it's gay, like just fucking deal with it. But like, there's no, there's no big reveal in that. It's about old relationships and like the old demons coming back and trying to figure out what we do with all these heavy emotions. And that could be a straight story too. It just happens to feature a gay man. And that's really cool to see. Yeah. So let me ask you this question, right? Because like we were, well, I was just saying how, you know, queer cinema means like you can take the, you can't take the queerness out of it and it's and it'll be the same like it has to have some sort of difference but now we you and i are both saying that like you can like for example pain and glory like it could be a straight story and it'd be the same but it's like how do you reconcile that because i think that there is so i don't um, know that it would be exactly the same i think there are differences in that story it's similar right right? there's a there's a human experience to what's going on with those with those characters but that human experience the nuances of it change if you have a straight character or if you have a gay character i think does that make right. sense yeah so i think yeah i just wanted to make sure that we weren't contradicting ourselves i didn't i mean already. i think it's easy especially for me to like be very self-contradictory about what i want for movies because like i think i think everyone's taste are always going to be a little self-contradictory because like some things work better in other things right and like so, like i'm okay with you know well whatever almodovar does because he's the best who's ever lived but um then there's some things that like if another director that i wouldn't be okay with it and i just you know i want to still want to make sure that i'm calling out my own, own self-contradictions because yeah. you know i want to make sure that i'm always like on the level <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's definitely really uh, important. But I just want to make sure that, we're like, you know, the distinction that we're making is, you know, is articulated because I think it's a really important distinction that kind of gets glossed over when talking about, you know, whether, you know, the like marginalized characters can easily be swapped out for straight ones and it'd be the same story. So yeah. Absolutely. So now I think we're going to move on to something that could be mildly embarrassing. So <laughs> what was what was the first? queer movie you remember saying okay so it's time for a little story that's also embarrassing but this is episode zero so i feel like whoever will be listening to this already knows that i'm an embarrassing human being um <laughs> and um so back in the day like in 2002 or three i was a, a tween i was about uh, 12 or 13 and um, there was a site called uh, Screen It, and it was like a parental guide with like telling oh, you yeah. like if there's like you know alcohol, violence, sex, nudity, drugs, or whatever in a film. So I would like go into that site and look for like the movies that had like the most sex and nudity in them, and see if I could like yeah figure out a way to watch them. <laughs> and so. Uh, I would, like, filter it to show, like, the ones that were, like, the most extreme. I mean, I was, okay, I was, like, 11, right? Or 12. Um, that's when you explore that stuff. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, that's, and, like, that's when I would, like, watch movies being, like, oh, hey, am I going to see, like, you know, a guy's butt or whatever? And, like, I wasn't out then, of course. So I was even, like, so confused what I was even looking for. So anyway, um, one of the few movies that came up in the, like, extreme section of this website was Yutu Mama Tambien, Alfonso Cuaron's oh. road trip movie. 
And that movie was, like, the holy grail for me because it had so much nudity in it, apparently, yeah. from this website. And, like, this website would detail everything. I don't know who ran it, but it was, like, very detailed. And I <laughs> and so um, I would, like... I was, like, dying to find this movie. And I could only find it at our Blockbuster in the R-rated edited version. And, like, I looked up online, and Blockbuster didn't show... They don't have NC-17 or unrated movies there. Or they didn't back then. Right. So I was, like, going crazy. Because I was like, I don't want to watch the R-rated version because it won't have everything I want to (laughs) see. And so finally I was able to, like... Uh, pull together my allowance and like go to a mall where like my parents wouldn't be with me um like we were like going shopping and they were like okay Manish you go like get what we need to get and we'll go to like this other store so like I went to um probably four-year entertainment and I found Yutamama Damien unrated and I bought it and I hid it in my room and I watched it <laughs> late at night and I think That's that was amazing. the first queer movie I had ever seen um, it was the first time I ever saw, like, you know, male nudity, like, graphic male nudity in a movie. And first time I probably saw Two Men Kiss. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then, like, of course, you know, now I know that's, like, an actual, like, classic movie that's, like, every, you know, right. people are, like, it's an esteemed art movie that is very popular. Not for the reasons <laughs> that I thought it was popular. But your dirty little secret. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, that's that is but, amazing. And so like that was to me was like the major like the major one. And then it's still funny to me that like now I watch that movie for like completely different reasons. But the funny thing is that right. we were just talking about um I believe off mic about male nudity and how it's hardly ever eroticized in the same way that female nudity is. But in Yutama Tambien, like that movie's very erotic and it's presented mm-hmm in a very erotic way and like it's one of the few times when i've seen um like you know male frontal nudity in an erotic setting usually when it's there it's either comedy like forgetting sarah marshall or it's like you know supposed to be like this like devastating look at sex addiction like shame the um the mcqueen movie uh or even his other movie hunger so it's like i you know again yutama tambien international film you know it's spanish it's um from mexico so you know maybe it's just like um having to do with you know international film versus american movies and we're we're very um uh prudish here we're pretty much Mm -hmm. you know puritans (laughs) so but yeah was life-changing for me and i'm glad that it's actually a legitimate movie because like (laughs) <laughs> I, it's a, uh, I mean, it's a great movie, and I'm glad that I watched it when I was little. But I don't think I even understood it until I was like 16. <laughs> so. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's very it's like I, I wish, I wish that was my first. That's such a great, that's such a great choice because it's a fantastic movie. Um, so when I was, it's interesting. Like I am so old now that I'm like, God, I don't know what my first queer movie was like i'm like i came up with these two and i'm sure there were movies before this because it's not like neither of these movies were like life-changing to me one of them's kind of a joke uh one of them is madonna truth or dare that is a queer as fuck movie uh it's a concert film but like all the behind the scenes stuff with our dancers i remember that being really eye-opening for me uh but the one that i remember most probably is jeffrey uh from 1995 i was about 16 when that came out and it's like it's kind of unheard of for its time, like a gay romantic comedy. And it's it's interesting because it has some of those tropes that we talked about, about things possibly ending in despair, because it's a it's a movie that's set in the in the height of the AIDS epidemic. But yet it's a you know, it's a it's a romantic comedy. And it also has, you know, my only real issue with that movie, and I don't know if we're gonna cover that, but if we do, I'll talk about it more there, that it's there's a lot of like you know, gay for pay going on here. You know, you've got Steven mm-hmm. Weber 
uh, star of wings and you've got Patrick Stewart hamming it up, but in a very, but in a very funny way, like it's a really enjoyable performance. Like it's pretty fantastic. But like, if it came out now, I would probably be like, come on, like, no, this is stereotypical stop, but it's like an enjoyable movie. And it does have a wide variety of gay characters. Um, So you do have some stereotypes, but you also have some people that are kind of in the middle, which is something we don't even have now, you know, and this is 24 years ago when this came out. Um, and I remember it being shocking to me because the first thing I had ever heard about it was Patrick Stewart plays gay in this movie. And like, you know, I'd seen him on Star Trek and all these other things. And I'm like, I can't even picture that. And he really goes all out with that performance. Like he leaves nothing on the table. And I remember just being kind of stunned by it, but also like being really moved by, by the main romance, uh, in the movie. And it was, and looking back on it now, it's crazy how rare that is, um, that it's not a romance that is destined to end in pain. You know, it's not two people pretending they're straight and like, oh, God, now they, they've figured out that they're gay and everything is the worst. Like, it's like, no, no, these are just two gay men who fall in love. And that's like weirdly revolutionary even now to watch. So Jeffrey was the, it's the one that I remember most. I'm sure if I could like go back in my memory and go back in my head and like pluck out the first gay movie, that probably isn't it. But that's the one that immediately comes to mind. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a more reasonable, <laughs> reasonable <laughs> and less with. creepy, you know, first <laughs> queer movie story than mine, which now I realize the guys sound like such a horn dog, which isn't far off, but I just, I'm, <laughs> oh no God. shame. No, I know. But so let's still, yeah. So let's move to our favorites now. So what is your? Do you have a favorite queer movie? Um, I mean, I have a lot. Um, I mean, of course, like Moonlight is like major classic, um, and The Handmaiden from the same year. Um, also. I am a big fan of Tu Wong Fu, uh, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, which I just saw for the first time like a couple weeks ago, so I don't know if that counts, but uh, counts. that was hilarious. And um, All About Eve is my favorite. But I think for me, like um. the major, major, major favorite um, is Brokeback Mountain, uh, mm-hmm. made by another one of my favorite filmmakers, Ang Lee. Ang Lee. And um, it's 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 one of those movies that has a lot of the things I don't like about queer cinema. Like Ang Lee isn't gay. Um, no one uh, involved in the film is gay, I think, or queer. Um, I mean, of course, rumors about Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal have been floating around, you know, since the movie came out. But I don't think. I mean, if they're yeah. true, I don't know. But I think it's mainly because they were just in the movie. Um, and it's, you know, they were brave enough to be gay on screen. Right. <laughs> right. The courageous yeah. move to get paid. <laughs> um, but I think that movie is such a, like, sensitive, sweet romance. And it's, um, I mean, you know, Lee's direction is so just gorgeous to behold. I mean, he has such an empathetic and compelling vision that, you know, he can take a movie that's so foreign to him in more ways than one. I mean, he's heterosexual as far as we know. And, you know, he's um, Taiwanese, and this is a very, like, Western American film. Uh, But he has such a, like, love for the story he's telling that it really just comes across on screen. And I I can see why people wouldn't like this movie, because it is very much, you know about two men hiding from their wives and, you know, they both die and, you know, it's a tragedy and <laughs> stuff. But I don't know. I, I think it just works for me because it's such a beautifully written film. It's so beautifully shot. And it's, um, it's also the kind of movie where all the sort of easy answers that we might come up with, like, why don't they just run away together? Why don't they just do this or do that? Right. And it's, it's a movie that shows that it's really not as easy as we think watching it, right. you know, at home, especially the two of us who are both like out and right. living in, you know, metropolitan areas or at least like more liberal areas. Then, so it's like 
the things that we would do in that situation, just like run away to New York or to LA or San Francisco or whatever, I don't think these guys have even considered it or that even what they would even do it. Look, it's just right. not it's just not in their lifestyle to do it. So they're just kind of because like they don't even, they're in they're involved with each other in a way that they don't even comprehend. Maybe Jake Gyllenhaal more. Right. Um, but definitely Heath Ledger's character Ennis just has no way to articulate what he's feeling because it's just so beyond you know, anything that he can witness. You know, it's not like he's yeah. watching, you know, Love Simon or whatever. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean they're cowboys in the middle of nowhere. Like the version not... of that would be right. Right. So I to me that I think that's a really beautifully articulated um element of the film and probably one of my favorite parts of it because just that's something that I could honestly relate to when I was that age and struggling with coming out is that like, I don't even know how to even talk about this because just not, there's, there are no like words for it in the the language that we speak. So Uh um, I think Brooklyn Mountain is probably the, the, you know, the big favorite Um, just in terms of like a more like light movie. um, Almodovar's film law of desire is another one. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, uh, pretty much the entire filmography from Almodovar. Um, <laughs> his, his movies all have all feature queer characters in some way, or if not directly, then it's definitely something that you know challenges the patriarchy of you know filmmaking and right. you know narrative film structure. So, you know, all about all about my mother is another one. Um, yeah, so those are my favorites. About yours. Nice. Well, I mean, I just want to say it's just too bad that uh, Brokeback Mountain isn't as good as Crash. It's just a real shame that it, Look, you know, couldn't. <laughs> Brokeback Mountain had uh, Sandra Bullock as a homophobic character. It would have won. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, let's bring that up with Ang Lee. He could have written that character into the film. That's all I have to say. What were you thinking? Yes. Um, <laughs> Oh, I'm very annoyed with you because you mentioned two of my favorites already just in passing. Uh, Love is Strange and Itu Mama Tambien are two of my favorites. Yeah. Um, Itu Mama Tambien, I think, honestly, like for my money, is one of the best films ever made, period. Like, I just think it's tremendous. I love every single frame of that movie. And it just, yeah. oh, my God, it, every time. Like, that's a movie I've watched four or five times, and it, like, doesn't get less emotionally devastating. Like, it's just so incredible. Um, but I guess a lighter choice, I really like Priscilla Queen of the Desert. I think that's really yeah. great. Uh, you know, it crawled so Tu Wang Fu could walk, I guess. Uh, a lot yeah. of similarities between those two movies. Um, and it's also, like, it's got a kind of punk rock aspect to it. Right. Where it's clear that they had no money to make this and they were making their own costumes and they were using, you know, the the Australian landscape to really uh, to really hammer a lot of this stuff home. And that sense of isolation and the kind of camaraderie between our three leads, I think it's just fantastic and just like a joy to watch. And like there is some sadness in there. There's some coming out stuff going on, but it never feels dour. You know, it still feels like a really fun road trip movie, which is exactly what it is. Yeah. You know, like you have you have kind of a grumpy old queer and you have the the queer who's a parent. And then you have the the outlandish queer on the top of the bus, you know, with the with the giant costumes and everything else. And it just man. And the, there's a scene in that movie with the with our leads and then like meeting these aboriginal folks on the way. And it's just beautiful and really and that scene in particular is just kind of like this great moment of acceptance whereas in back in the real world they had to worry about what they look like and who they were and were they going to get their asses kicked for being in the wrong bar and then they're just like out in nature with good people and things are fine you know so i really like priscilla i mean it just that one is just kind of like out of all the ones i love it's probably like the most heartwarming most light uh, gay movie that I really enjoy because like this is like I don't know if this is a personal fault of mine or just who I am I tend to like heavier films like I have right. maybe been accused of being pretentious a time or two in my life um, so I tend to like the art films mm-hmm. and with the art films I think sometimes comes drama and pain and you know these rough endings so it's nice to have a lighthearted one in there too so that's my I'm going to go with Priscilla Queen of the Desert 
All right. Yeah, those are great choices. And, like, I mean, I don't mean to say anything negative about Love is Strange. That's an incredible film. But to me, it's, I, I would, I guess, separate from that film, I would love to see a movie about an old queer couple just, you know, yeah, going yeah, that's through actually, you that's know, their actually lives. That's actually what I was going to bring up. Yeah. It's, like, nice in terms of diversity to actually see an older guy. And neither of these older guys is in, like, crazy good shape you know they're not like trying to look like they're they're not like 50 and trying to make them look like they're 35 they look like older men who are in love with one another and i was like i don't know that i've ever seen this before you know like it's just it's so rare to see that in gay cinema so that was really Mm -hmm. nice uh and one of the last things we want to talk about before we get to like kind of the setup of the show and kind of leading in to our first episode next time to you, is there, like, an essential queer film? Like, the one, like, if you had to, like, pick one for somebody to watch, like, this is the one that you would point them to. Okay, but can I pick five? <laughs> <laughs> yes! Go ahead! Um, okay, I'll go back quickly. Um, so, number one, uh, these aren't in any order except what I'm thinking about. Um, one is Bound, um, the Wachowski yeah. sisters film, uh, because it's uh, great to see a noir that is from a queer perspective with queer characters where I mean I guess spoiler alert but like none of them die <laughs> um, and also All About Eve of course um, uh, BPM Beats Per Minute because mm-hmm. um, I think that's like as, as tired I am of AIDS movies, I think that's like the quintessential one and should be taught in schools and uh, shows, um, you know, queer people in all facets of their lives, you know, struggling, protesting, dancing, making love, whatever, mm-hmm. arguing, you know, being friends, being friends. Yeah. So that's another one. Um I said three, right? Yeah, uh, Philadelphia, I think. Um, the Jonathan Demi film, and um, oh, Moonlight, of course. Oh, and Hedwig and the Angry Inch, five six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, I, I like, I tried and failed to like stay away from like very modern movies. Like, yeah. first I was like, oh, I don't want to include Handmaiden or Moonlight because, like, those, every, at this point, like, anyone who would be listening to a podcast on queer cinema, like, you know those, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay. Uh, and there's one that I know is going to piss you off, so uh, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> um, but the modern one I chose, actually, is Beach Rats, uh, which came out in 2007. Oh, sure, yeah. Which is fucking fantastic. Like, just... Honestly, like, one of the most purely beautifully acted films of the last decade and, like, that nobody, nobody saw. Like, this was a tiny, tiny movie. It is on, like, you can rent it on Amazon. It's on Hulu uh, it's, streaming. Oh, nice. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, we could keep feeding the Disney machine and send people to Hulu. Um, but it's just, you know, it's 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 a really kind of different gay story because it is a coming out story. But like not it's like almost like this it's a really rough journey it's not a like i'm gay and i've always known that and i gotta figure out a way to do this it's like it and so it's like you know you have scenes between your lead character and a woman and scenes between him and a man and like uses technology in a really interesting way like just fantastic i don't want to give away too much about it because i know probably not a lot of people have seen it yeah uh so go watch well, Beatrice. i will say and this which i can edit out if you think it's a spoiler but um, it's one of the few movies that acknowledge that, like, gay men kind of have sex in, like, CD ways, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like that's never really, like, for example, in, like, Love, Simon, not, I mean, I guess that's, I mean, it's kind of an important movie, but, um, I was like, well, this kid would not just be, like, uh, you know, like, closeted and just, like, not having sex, I mean, like, there's no way he's not on Grinder. like, what's... <laughs> Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, why, like that doesn't make any sense to me. I feel like nowadays kids who grew up with technology, are, like closeted kids, are finding these ways to like meet up. So, uh, I mean, I, I get that has to be like a PG thirteen movie, and that's fine. But like Beach Rats, I really like because it does acknowledge that and shows that in a very realistic and, and kind of scary way, which I find fascinating. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the one that will upset you, and I know this maybe not upset you, but you'll just probably roll your eyes at me, uh, because uh, whenever I watch your movie on Letterboxd, uh, one of the things that shows up is uh, my friends and what they think of it. And you gave this a very poor review, and I'm still mad at you, uh, but it is My Own Private Idaho, um, which is oh. a queer classic. River Phoenix, Keanu Reeves, directed by Gus Van Sant. It was kind of the start of like kind of this new era of queer cinema in the eighties. It's phenomenal, but it's weird. It's not and I said I'm pretentious. What do you want from me? Like this is <laughs> probably the most pretentious gay film ever made, maybe. Um, but I absolutely love it, and it may have something to do with the fact that I'm in love with both Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix. But I'm okay with that. Uh and I'm okay with spending a couple hours looking at those yeah. two beautiful maps. So, so. I think that I would appreciate this movie more. Okay, I just, I'm reading my review now. So this is from 2013, um, almost seven years ago. So uh, I think I would appreciate the movie more now that I'm, like, more cultured as a person. Because I think I was expecting something a little bit more, you know, structurally... Well, yeah, uh, and it's not accessible at all. Yeah, like it's structurally <laughs> accessible, right. <laughs> So I think yeah. I would enjoy it more. I mean, I feel really guilty for giving it two stars because it's like a classic. <laughs> um, but I think we all have those movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, the other thing I was going to mention is that, like, I mean, we're both two uh, cisgender men, correct? So, mm-hmm. yep. I mean, neither one of us has many, like, um, queer women or, you know, female-identifying films on either of those lists, right? Yeah, I mean, and um, so it's I was kind of a, enough. something to bring up because yeah, you know, definitely one that I'd like to bring up. I was just lucky enough to get to see Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which came out yeah. this year. Which, like, who knows how much of this is recency bias, right? Because I just saw it like a couple weeks ago. But like, this goes on my short list of best movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Period. Gay movie, straight movie, does not matter. I think it's just about flawless so i'll throw that one out there i think there's you know and maybe this is just like a huge gap in my viewing but like a lot of the a lot of the queer women movies i've seen have fallen more into like the kind of rom-com uh yeah, right. era like go fish and like right exactly yeah yeah but i'm a cheerleader you know like those are the ones that really stand out to me and maybe i just need to watch more lesbian cinema it's not like it's not out there these movies exist so that's something maybe we'll explore a little more during during this podcast yeah i mentioned right we mentioned like the major ones right like the handmaiden bound all that eve um, but I, even though All That Eve, I think, is not really, not really I don't think of people think of it as a lesbian classic. I, I mean, even though it does have queer women or queer implications around women, I think queer it's... Queer coded, for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think it's mainly a movie that, like, can't be gay men, like, in terms of its, like, queer audience, you know? And I can't believe none of, neither of us mentioned Carol, uh, which is, like, one of the best movies of the last decade. Yeah, I was uh, going to bring up Carol, but I was... I thought you were going to say Carol, so I didn't bring it up. But, yeah, <laughs> Carol. Of course, Carol, the best movie. Yeah. Um, and again, like, movies there's... Yes, some would say. Um, I think it's interesting when you when you look at a lot of queer cinema recently, there is still a lot of like all directed by men stuff going on uh, in these like really highly thought of gay films. You know, like even Carol, yeah. you know, there's no there's no women behind the camera. Um, so I think you get like very different perspectives if we were looking at more movies directed by women, I think that's true in general, not just in queer cinema, but in cinema in general. Uh, but I think especially in lesbian love stories, like I think sometimes, you know, maybe there's something missing by only having men behind the camera. Yeah. Because a lot of um, queer movies around women um, tend to fall into that trap of like, is this really for, Yep. lesbians and I mean, blue is the warmest women. color I mean it's like just yeah like that's a sort of like the persona non grata <laughs> yep but absolutely. yeah exactly I mean that's a thing right so that's I mean I can't try to think of anything else I wanted to bring up in terms of like my favorite or essential right. queer movies but and you know uh, maybe yeah. by the end of this you know some of these will change we might find new favorites or new essential films because there's a lot of films on these lists that we've started to put together that 
one I haven't seen and some like I haven't even heard of. Like I'm like, yeah. oh, OK, I guess I'm going to watch that. Let's do it. So I guess we should talk about like kind of the format of the show. So yeah. basically what we're doing is we're picking at most two queer movies, usually one queer movie per year. And then we're going to talk about each one of those movies per episode. Um, and we're we're splitting it up a little bit. We talked a little bit because we wanted to start, it, start like in 1930, um, where it's like one of the first instances of any sort of non-heterosexual anything on screen. But we also wanted to like bring in listeners at the beginning. So we didn't really <laughs> want to start with 1930. There's a low there's a smaller audience for that. So we're kind of we mentioned in the opening this is a time hopping journey. So we're going to go decade by decade. So we're going to start with the 2010s, you know, movies you've heard of, movies you've probably seen, like things like Moonlight, and then we'll bounce back all the way to 1930, and then we'll bounce all the way back to the 2000s and 1940s, and eventually meet in the middle um, and finish up. So um, I was wondering for you, is there a decade you're really looking forward to talking about? Yes, uh, because I love the 1950s as a film decade in general, because um, that's like the height of Technicolor, the height of sort of the post-war, you know, um, uh, like economic boom, but also like um, social anxiety about conformity and you know the Red Scare and all that. So I'm really excited to see what the 1950s look like in terms of queerness and to see how you know the sort of the model of the american family is warped through the queer lens and stuff like that and also the 1980s because i feel like that's when like i feel like you know queerness in america was kind of like at its like i don't want to say peak but like definitely it's most like aggressive or um, mm-hmm. it's most just, like, prominent, I guess, in the 1980s. Like, mm-hmm. um, So I'm excited to see, you know, movies in that period. How about yourself? Uh, there's two decades that really stand out for me. One is the 1970s, because that's, like, kind of seen in general as this, like, golden age of film, like, where people were really taking chances and, you know, it wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't anchored to the studio system or these giant corporations. Um, but also... It's far enough back that it's going to be like, oh, man, this shit is so problematic. Like, it's just <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see these kind of, right. you know, the strong auteur period, but also this period of time where you're like, oh, we don't really say that anymore. You can't <laughs> yeah. you can't do that. So that'll be interesting to see, like, how we view it with 2019 eyes. And then the other decade that's really interesting to me is the 1990s, because that's kind of. That was a period of time when I was coming out and figuring out who I was, and but I wasn't really kind of tied into community yet. So it'll be interesting to kind of look back both at that time in cinema and that time in my life uh, to kind of see, again, how things have changed. And especially, you know, we're going to see like a lot of change. Like obviously the 1930s stuff is going to be – some of it might be minimal. Some of it you might have to read into it a little bit. But once you get to like 60s, 70s, 80s – yeah. There's going to be like time periods we recognize and people that we recognize. And there's a there's a less presentational style of acting as we get closer to modern time. But things still will have changed so much. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see the differences between like the 1960s and the 2010s. OK, so that is our episode zero. You've got a little background on both of us. Find out what we're excited about. Uh, and we definitely would love for you to contact us and tell us if there's movies you're excited to hear about or time periods you're excited to hear about. We are, of course, like every other horrible person uh, who watches film. We are on Twitter. Um, so you should <laughs> right. follow us at Queer and Now Pod. Um, and we look forward to you all listening as we make our way from the 1930s all the way to 2019. So we look forward to you joining us. Yes, thanks for listening. Hey.